You're listening to the Sourced Property Podcast. Hello and welcome to another Source Property Podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast. It's lovely to have you here again. I am Chris Kirkwood, one of the directors of Sourced, and today we've got a special podcast. I know I always say that, but that's because every single podcast that we do is exceptional, right? We always try and think of the best content, the most relevant stuff that you can apply to your property business to help you make progress. Today, we've got with us Peter J. Howe. By the sounds of it, you know, somebody that uses that initial in the middle, could be an actor, got to be someone famous. Well, you're right, it's somebody that's written a property book. And so Peter came into our office uh, earlier this week to talk about another side of our business, to talk about the capital side of our business. However, I found out that Peter had written a book called All About Buy-to-Let Mortgages. Now, having had a look through that book, I only received my copy earlier this week. So thank you very much, Peter, for sending that across to me. No problem. But I only received my copy earlier this week. And I thought, you know, buy-to-let mortgages, really? Can you write a whole book about buy-to-let mortgages? Because they're ubiquitous, right, when you get into property. They're everywhere. Everybody knows about them. But actually, having read the book, it seems that a lot of people are actually taking them for granted. And the power of the buy-to-let mortgage isn't being exploited, which really this book highlights. So first of all, hello, Peter. Hello. Thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you very much for writing the book as well. And at Sourced, we are open, we are transparent. And so I haven't read the whole book because I only got my copy earlier this week and I am, yeah. the, I am the world's slowest reader. However, I will be reading it because I've gone through some of the sections that I think are the most relevant uh-huh. for somebody that probably knows quite a lot about buy-to-let mortgages as I do. It's opened my eyes, to be perfectly honest, honest with you, which I was surprised about. Most people know of buy-to-let mortgages as sort of long-term, low-cost lending, right? It serves as a buy-and-hold sort of facility, yeah, but right. this is completely disregarding their opportunity. Would you agree? Yeah, I think uh, buy-to-let mortgages, they offer great opportunity to be very creative in investment. And uh, a lot of people talk about no money down. You can't do no money down. Well, I've certainly done none of my money down. And I'm not talking about using JV partners. I'm talking about actually me, myself, using other people's money through other means and doing none of my money down. And the cornerstone of that is buy-to-let mortgages. Essentially, you can do a lot of creative things to generate money, buy property, but the the exit from that has to be a buy-to-let mortgage. And so beginning to end in that process where you've had a had a property that you've done no money down, the beginning to end has always been mortgages, right? Buy-to-let mortgages. It hasn't been using bridging finance. It has all of these more creative ways of financing property. It's just been buy-to-let mortgages, right? I have never used uh, bridging finance. It's there. I understand it. I talk about it in the book as an option. I keep it as an option. Yeah. It is the last option for me because it can be the most expensive option. It's simply because of that. But buy-to-let finance is, in fact, the cheapest finance that's uh, available. Yeah. And so if you can use buy-to-let finance, then, yeah, you are using the cheapest form of finance available simply because it's secured against the property. They're able to offer the finance uh, cheaper. You say you've done that from beginning to end using only buy-to-let mortgages but you're right you do see a lot of training out there that is talking about no money down that's talking about these strategies where they push the bridge in and they push all of the stuff that's more creative and is that what inspired you to write the book because you were seeing other people talking about no money down you thought well hold on a minute there is another way of doing this using even cheaper finance and i want to tell people about it i think what inspired me to write the book is that i could see there was nothing in depth on the subject out there And over then 13 years, now 15 years, I've been involved in using this form of finance. I realized I learned a lot. 
I'd learned a lot on how to save money and how to make more money with buy-to-let mortgages. A lot of detail. And being an engineer, I think that kind of brain, an engineer's brain, tries to put logical order to things that can sometimes seem a bit random. And I think that was a challenge to structure and see what I really did know. Because what's in your head when you start putting it on paper, it becomes, yeah, a bit of a challenge to organise and really for you to understand what you really know. You know? Were you surprised? So, yeah, I was surprised. I did a brainstorm and put everything down that I know and started to organize it. And then, yeah, I was surprised how many sheets of paper I had and how much reorganization I had to do. How long did it take you to write the book? It was uh, just over a year. I'm fascinated. Really, a year? Yeah. Wow, okay. Did you use any techniques for some of the more prolific authors say that they have like blocks of four hours where they put three blocks for four hours in a day and they'll get a book done in like a couple of months, which <laughs> amazes me, especially as someone who's sort of been looking at writing a book, putting something together, but yeah. never thought that I have the necessary time to do it. The minimum amount of time that people have done it has been a couple of months, but mm. a year, I what think, was your technique to get it done? Well, I think a year is fairly typical if you talk to a lot of people who've written a book it, it does take around that time and right this is when they're doing other things so we're not talking full-time authors here yeah. we're talking you know somebody that wants to write a book about their subject they also got many other things to do during the day and uh, yeah it's it's not their main focus if you were just an author then yeah I could imagine you could be very systematic about it and take that approach and write it in a few months it would be a full-time task to do that but on a part-time basis uh, I think a year is realistic and I didn't want to put myself under too much pressure about it. However, I wanted to get uh, the book written, so I achieved it within the allotted uh, time that I'd given for it. So as you know, at Sourced, we have a number of franchisees around the country yeah. on differing levels of experience when they come and join Sourced. You know, we've, had, we've got franchisees that have built a thousand new build units. Uh -huh. We've got franchisees that have never done a property deal and with us is, is how they've done their first property deal with our help and support. I've focused on sort of three questions or three areas to look at for the beginner investor, the intermediate investor and the expert investor. Yeah. So I'm going to start with the beginner investor yeah, in, in sure. this question and you haven't seen these questions so this, no, is, this is really testing yeah. your knowledge yeah, yeah, yeah. which is good. I like this stress test. Okay. So there's many different products from a buy-to-let mortgage. Buy-to-let mortgage covers yeah. many things, you know, fixed interest, tracker interest how do you go about making your choice so this isn't a question of which one is best mm -hmm. it's how do you decide which one is best in any given situation well first of all i'll start out by telling you what i don't do what i don't do is listen only to brokers <laughs> because if you listen to a broker it's always now is the time because obviously that's their business you yeah. know and they'll always give you a valid reason why now is the time to remortgage, I think back and I can see some big mistakes other people have made when that's the advice they've been given and they've taken it. I think, no, you need to look at the market and assess where it's going. If there's a... And that's important. So yeah. look at the market, but assess where it's going, not only where it is. Yeah, exactly. And the market I'm talking about is obviously the money lending market as well here, you know. So there's the market itself and there's the money lending market. And you have to think, you know, where's it going to go? We don't have a crystal ball, but we do have the information that that we have it uh, available a lot on the internet. Uh, I would say mostly everything's available on the internet nowadays, but take a look around and I think you have to satisfy yourself that you are in fact taking the right decision. And this is the whole thing about the book because what I don't like is I, I hear people say, oh, I just leave that to my broker. I just leave that to my broker. Yeah. I mean, really, this is the biggest cost in buy to let and you just leave it to somebody else. Now, I know there might be you know, somebody you know well may even be your best friend. But at the end of the day, 
the only person that really cares the most about your money is yourself. And that's why I think a small investment in your education in this area can do a lot for the profits at the end of the day in buy to let. But to go back to your question about what do we do, fixed or variable, I do cover that in some depth in the book and also in my uh, support material from the website. Web, web address? The web address? Yeah. Okay, it's buy to let mortgages, all separated by a dash, dot org. UK. Going back to your point about looking at the future, yeah. I've got a friend who mortgaged two properties both at the same time. One he did on a fixed term and one yeah. he did on a tracker. At the time, they were both about the same cost. However, the tracker was tracking the Bank of England base rate and it was 0.25% above the Bank of England base rate. Yeah. So for the last, what, nearly 10 years now, mm-hmm. he's had a ridiculously low mortgage on that property because the Bank of England base rate has been so low. He had no idea at the time what was going to, as nobody did, had yeah, any idea. Yeah. But that just goes to show, his one of those mortgages is almost three times the cost of the tracker yeah. on a monthly repayment. Yeah. That just goes to show the, the as you're right, you're absolutely right about the biggest cost involved in buy to let yeah, and massive. the difference choosing the right mortgage can make. Yeah. I mean, in that sense, the example you bring there was, I don't think anyone, but not many people foresaw what was going to happen and that rates would come down so much, especially when they've been on the increase prior to that. So it gets back to answering your question, which do you do? Do you do fixed or do you do variable? That's a key question. And if you think rates are going to come down, you're going to do variable to benefit in the long run. Definitely, you want to be looking at that. If you think rates are going to go up, obviously, you want to be fixing and get the benefit on that. Then the question is, for what period? My approach right now is fixing for five years at a low rate, because there's some low rates out there. And obviously, rates are not going to come down any further. Not the well, They may do, but if they do, it's not going to be significant in the scheme of things. Whereas in the past, we've seen rates drop by, what, around 5 5.5% something, mm. big drops. But now, you know, we can't do that because... Uh, 0.75 we're going nowhere much lower than that so we will be looking at going up at some point and I know for the last 10 years people have been saying there's potentially a rate rise on the horizon and again if you were listening to brokers then you would be fixing but you would, then you would be fixing at higher rates but now the fixed rates are quite low and I think it's, it's a time to consider that so it's about looking at the future where's interest rates going uh, what periods are available to fix and there's some great deals around right now but I also have like you mentioned some of those tracker mortgages so I was lucky to get some of those uh, were you I was similar terms 0.25 above base something like that exactly and there was a stage oh, it makes me sick <laughs> there was there was a stage with one particular mortgage which was we don't see these nowadays so much but they're well for obvious reasons we don't see them they're called discounted trackers so they're discounted from the the base rate wow yeah so I had one that actually should have gone a quarter of a percent in my favor. Wow. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to start receiving money now for owning this <laughs> property from the lender. From- uh, there was some clause in the uh, contract, obviously, that didn't allow that, but I wasn't so upset. It was basically don't pay us anything until, yeah. Until- just, know, just knowing my friend has got one of these <laughs> makes me 
angry. Well, no, I'm, I'm very pleased for him. But I do like that he kicks himself that he didn't put everything onto that tracker. But as you say, at the time, there's just no way of predicting yeah. it. And it was a risk for him. I know he works out how much he would be paying if all of his buy-to-let properties were on that tracker. Yeah. It infuriates him that he didn't, you know, happen to make that lucky decision on everything. Yeah, I, I could have gone in more heavy on that particular deal and got more on that for sure but you didn't know one of the reasons i didn't is because i would have had to pay more fees up front so yeah. that that put me off but in the scheme of things that would have meant nothing but yeah yes yeah. like i say we don't have a crystal ball and what i say in the book is you know don't beat yourself up about that yeah. i mean there's no point putting any emotional pressure on yourself about the fact that you made with hindsight you made a wrong decision i think the the thing is to educate yourself and take the best possible decision, which is the same in all investment. You know, you look at the situation now, you try to predict where things are going, as with any investment that you're buying in the in the property market. Is this a good investment? Is this a bad investment? It's the same with a mortgage. Is this a good investment? Is this a bad investment? And you can only take the decision based on the information you have. But the amount of people that just say, I'll leave it to my broker, yeah. I'll leave it to my broker, well, they're wearing a blindfold. and. Do you think they're really going to be getting the best deals in the end? Well, no. But then, of course, they may get lucky. I would actually change the terminology of that decision-making as well to say it's the wrong decision because you're still making a decision that works. Yeah. You know, it's still a positive that you will be making money because otherwise, yeah. if you're not making money from the, from the sure. investment, it's not worth doing. You yeah. could have made a better decision. Exactly. But, yeah, yeah. but it just so happens yeah. that you haven't, although you're still going to benefit from it. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about making the best decisions and the best decisions. Sure, yeah. I think, you know, I work well with my broker. In fact, uh, I had a discussion with him on, on the way here about portfolio mortgages. And yeah, we were talking for some 20 minutes about this option, that option, what should we do about product transfers, various things, and what's happening in the market now. How can we leave ourselves open for the best possible opportunities? And uh, I think having some understanding, a good understanding about buy-to-let mortgages allows you to have very good discussion at a level where it also stimulates their thinking as, as well as yours mm. because uh, when they know they're talking to somebody who also knows about mortgages maybe they're just going to switch themselves on that little bit more because maybe they feel they've got something to prove yeah absolutely <laughs> so going on to people that know a little bit more about mortgages let's move on to the question that's more aimed towards the sort of intermediate investor so somebody that is a little bit more experienced than somebody that's completely green so meeting valuers you talk about in your book yep. and giving them an information pack or giving them the details of yep. stuff that you found that aligns perfectly with the stuff that I talk to people about when when we're sure. in training that yeah. you know the success or failure of, of your property development mm -hmm. could rest mm -hmm. on that one person's shoulders yeah. Yeah. so why just give them the keys and then walk yeah. away and let them make the decision so this is obviously something that you've done before so what yeah. what is it that you put in that pack that you give to valuers when they come and, and survey the properties that you're looking at buying the things that they will be having to do if you don't do it which is things like you would go and find some comparable rent figures so again on internet sites rental sites so something very close in the vicinity that's been advertised recently to show what they're, they're renting for because the rent value is very important on a remortgage also on a purchase but uh, but on a remortgage it's very important and you want to reflect that there's good demand and also there's a good rent to be had then of course the capital value of the property so you're looking at what properties have sold in the 
area. You can do a search on sole prices, show them that. These are the things they have to do anyway. And, and if you present that to them and have a discussion about it, they're going to feel more relaxed about it. The fact that you're going to be helping them as well. It's just helping them out. They have to do that work anyway. Well, you might as well have some influence on that. So imagine if they went and did it themselves and they started looking at a property that wasn't quite like yours. They've probably got other jobs to do. At the same time, they make a mistake. So in a way, you're stopping them from making any valuation mistakes there by guiding them in the right direction. And what kind of response do you get from the valuers when you present this to them? They're quite pleased. Imagine they have a big workload on and somebody's done some work for them. Of course, they're going to check it because they've got to rubber stamp it. But basically, they'll probably just go and check and see if they agree with you. And, and that's it. You will get valuation figure based on the information that you've provided to them unless they find reason to dispute that. Uh, so they're going to have to find a reason to dispute it rather than you just leaving it entirely to them to do their own research and possibly make a mistake and therefore come up with a valuation figure that does not work for you. It's a point that you make in the book as well about building a relationship with that person, you know, because if you're going to be using that buy-to-let mortgage provider time and time again in the same sort of area, you're probably going to come across that valuer time and time again. Yeah. So if you've got a relationship with them already, and that relationship is built on the quality of your evidence, as you say, they've got to rubber stamp it. So they're going to look at your stuff. Now, if you meet them the first time and you're way out with your predictions, the second time that they they meet you, they're not going to look at it, are they? Because they're going to think, well, I took stuff off this guy before. He was just way out. He was trying to manipulate it in a false way. However, if you've been congruent and you've been very accurate in the stuff that you've you've given him the first time, then he's more likely to talk to you again and, and take the information off you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it becomes a point of trust then as well. It makes it easier going forward. I would say certain lenders, you will meet the same valuer more often. That's where they have their own in-house valuer and they're assigned to that particular area. So maybe you know them for five years. Typically, they'll move on after a while. But, you know, you will be meeting the same person. And uh, I think then, let's say you can get the highest permissible valuation. Right. There's a range of valuations. When they put in a figure on it, there'll be an acceptable range of valuations obviously you want to target the highest one and I think by having that relationship with them and that trust and the fact like you say you're not coming across with way out you're not there to give them misinformation Mm. I'm not suggesting that at all but what I'm saying is give them the right information to support the valuation that you want to put on it which typically is going to be the highest reasonable valuation and if you're building your business around misinformation and overvaluations then that's also a danger and you don't want to be doing that. Moving on to a question that's more geared towards the the people that have been in the buy-to-let world for a long time. Changing use or tenant type, you talk about in your book. By the way, so far, impressive that you've been able to come up with all this information without knowing what questions I'm going to ask. This is all completely off the top. You've not even got any, you've got not got any notes, not got anything to write anything down with. This nope. is all completely off the top of your head. Yeah, which, just walked in. Which is genuinely impressive. Changing use or tenant types might mean you have to remortgage. Yeah. I would say that a lot of people wouldn't know changing use or the tenant type. Mm-hmm. It's that specific. Yes. So have you have you gone through that? Have you experienced that yourself? Yeah, I have been through that. Give and us an example of, of like changing tenant types, what exactly that means. Change of the tenant types. When I first started out, I was renting to working people. And then at the time, I realized that, that working people, in fact, sometimes can't afford the best rents. This is an old strategy. This is the LHA strategy that people still use. I, I don't 
use that so much anymore because there's a lot more work involved. But at yeah. that time, an LHA type strategy was good. And so I had to move from working people to people on housing benefit. And I had to check that that was allowable. In my case, most of the mortgages I had was where that's not possible. Then I was looking at a remortgage just to ensure that... Uh, I could do that. I think there's a pressure now from the government that there shouldn't be such restrictions anyway on mortgages, so I think we'll see that removed fairly shortly. But the, a lot of existing mortgages, there probably still is uh, mortgage agreements. There probably still is some uh, mention of the tenant types in there. That was one. And another one was when I had a shared house a st on a, a student. It was f specifically for students. I was renting to students then. Okay, so then what happened was I wanted to move more into employed people mm -hmm. and I wanted to go from four, which it said there was four students allowed, and I wanted to go to five. So then I asked the lender, okay, I would like to go to five in fact was uh, still students at the time and they said no that's not possible and they really came down heavy on me <laughs> so yeah and started uh, quoting terms and conditions at me uh, I, I'd only asked the question so it's a very serious matter that's how tr serious they treat it out of interest did they tell you why because presumably from their point of view you put five people in the house you're going to generate more a yeah. more regular higher income which means that you're going to be able to pay your mortgage off more consistently totally agree no they didn't give a reason from the tone of the letter they could see they didn't want to discuss they said this is how it is and right you should not do that if that happens then they they're talking about taking the mortgage away and you know it was just for a simple question and probably many people do this and don't ask the question in my case i, I remortgaged away i didn't want that kind of restriction or that kind of pressure so even when something makes logical sense the lender might actually make a decision in the other direction. So that just goes to show that any change that you're going through with your mortgage lender, you need to run by them. Because you might think, oh no, well, they won't have a restriction for that because it makes more sense that I'm allowed to change it to this. Yeah. However, that's a great example of where that isn't the case. Yeah. And therefore, you need to have that conversation with them yeah. and yeah. risk getting a strongly worded letter from them. Yeah, or worse. But the letter was the, the threat. And so I, I, I took that as a signal and moved on. And um, I think you need to look at the terms and conditions. And if you're going to be changing use in the future, possibly, make sure that's allowable or ask your broker to check it if you don't want to read the terms and conditions. So lay out your vision for the property, the possibilities of future changes in direction, changes of use, changes of uh, tenant type, and choose the one that will allow you to move tenant type, to change tenant type, but without moving to a different lender. A lot of that has happened in the last five to 10 years as well, as people have moved into HMO or change their buy-to-let strategy yeah. to go into HMO instead of single-let. And particularly relevant for anybody that's going to be looking at rent-to-rent -rent deals, a rent-to-rent -rent on a single-let, which is turned into a HMO or serviced accommodation. Again, particularly relevant, and it has to be run by the, run by the lender to make sure that they're happy with it. Would you say that most buy-to-let lenders then have another product that you can move on to with them let's go for the sort of more vanilla example of a single let to a hmo that that buy to let lender will have a hmo mortgage and you'll be able to port your mortgage or move your mortgage directly onto the other product with that same lender have lenders seen the opportunity there instead of just seeing the restrictions most lenders will offer products for either of those types single let or hmo so you could probably move with the same lender but i wouldn't impose that restriction on myself if i'm going to move i'm going to have to remortgage anyway they won't be doing a product transfer because it's a different kind of, of product and therefore uh, there needs to be a separate valuation done and a different type of mortgage 
and it means you have to go through solicitors to uh, there'll be a conveyancing process for that so in other words even though it's the same lender you'll be going through exactly the same mm -hmm. procedures and costs as if you were going to a different lender so if i'm looking at having to move the products i'm back into the whole market with the whole the market broker what's out there what can we do what are our options the only benefits i see to stay with an existing lender would be to do a straight product transfer, which means there's no hassle on revaluations, there's no hassle on conveyancing, it's just a simple phone call and you can sometimes get a better deal. But that's like for like, that's just transferring from one product to another product with the same tenancy type and the same uh, property use. As you can hear, Peter has a phenomenal amount of knowledge about buy-to-let mortgages and I'm sure one of the questions that you would want me to ask in the listening world is how are you now using this information for how you're building your portfolio? What are you looking at next and what's your tactic and your strategy moving forward? Well, my tactic and strategy, I'm getting to, let's say, the back end of this. I know a lot of people are starting out, but as you can hear, I'm, I know quite a lot about this subject now from experience over the years in building my uh, portfolio. I'm not a broker. I've never had any training in being a broker. So, you know, all this has been picked up as, as I go along of years of experience. So, yeah, I built my portfolio up to 40 properties and uh, now I'm 55. So uh, I'm looking now at uh, paying down some of the uh, capital. That's the stage I'm at. So in fact, that was the discussion I was having with my broker this morning about, okay, of course you want to remortgage onto the lowest rates, but let's use some of that headroom to start paying down some of the debt. In the past, I've always been about gearing, 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 because, you know, I started with only £5,000 and, uh, you know, the portfolio is now around uh, three million. So it's a matter of how do you then pay that down? If you pay it down and then obviously the money's coming into your pocket rather than lenders. And then you've got, people talk about property pensions. I, I don't like to confuse property and pensions because that's a, that's another topic, uh, as, as we know. But anyway, what we're really saying is passive income from property. And passive income really comes when you're getting most of the money into your pocket and not the lender's pocket. So I can generate more passive income by paying down some of the debt. Now, the front of your book says, uh, there's a little like rosette on the front, and it says the property investing series. So the word series interests me. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well... I think that, well, I know there will be follow-up, but there's also some other information available, which is Stamp Property Investing Series, but that's uh, on my uh, Property Investor Pro information course, which is available inside the website. So that's on step three. If you go to the website, like I said, it's buy to let mortgages, all separated by a dash, .org.uk. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Sure, that's great. And then, yeah, if you go there on step three, you will find... Uh, access to some more information which is also stamped up so it's a little bit like hidden series right it's okay it's there but it's not uh, on amazon it's more specialized information which uh, I, i'm not really going to be putting in the public domain so so easily so you mentioned amazon is that is that the best place to go to get your book yeah you can get the book on amazon you can get it in print kindle and also audible fantastic so just to reiterate the book is called all about buy to let mortgages the author and who i've been speaking to is peter j howe we'll put links to everything in the show notes as you can hear there's a huge amount of information and i genuinely do believe that buy to let mortgages are overlooked and they're not uh, used to their full extent because as i said right at the beginning people look at them as low-cost long-term lending and that's pretty much it people see that there's more flexibility in other things however as peter's just shown there's a lot that you can do with a buy to let mortgage if you get the book then there's a huge amount of information in there that you'll i'm sure you'll be able to take advantage of so thank you very much for coming in today peter it was nice to, see, nice to see you again and uh we'll see you soon thanks very much okay 
Okay.